follow the Four Corners Podcast on social media. Like us on Facebook, Four Corners Podcast. Follow us on Twitter, Podcast Four Corners. And check us out on Instagram, Four Corners Podcast. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review. I want to take this time to apologize to the television audience for what they're about to see. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Four Corners Podcast. I'm Shad here with Matt and Brad. Guys, how are we feeling? Doing good. Uh, I am recovering. One of us is. One of us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If you had, if you had Shad survive, being the the last man standing in the COVID sweepstakes, uh, you won. Has Shad had it? I. I there Did was a point. It? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. She had it real bad. But there was a point where uh, I might have, but it did not hit me hard enough that I was worried about it. Like, I was at work that day, and I had a, I had a cough and maybe a little congestion. So I just said to everybody, I'm like, ah, I'm just going to keep my mask on. I don't know what it is, but, you know. And they're like, okay, that's cool. Love you, thanks. And then uh, that was on a Friday, and that night, my wife lost her sense of taste entirely, taste and smell entirely. And it was just like, oh, hell, COVID COVID has come home. But uh, at least at the time, I didn't feel anything. Well, so um, my story is my wife and I went to Dynamite on Wednesday. And then after work on Friday, uh, my nose is getting a little stuffy. And my wife's throat was getting scratchy, and she had she works third shift, so she's like, "Well, I need to take a COVID test." So she pops positive, and I'm like, "Oh, great! Like, well, I'll come and take one." And then I took the other test, and it lit lit up like you know Christmas tree. So it was like, "Oh, good, we have COVID." So we made it two and a half years and got like the. It's been pretty mild, but yeah, um, I'm I'm in the last couple days of quarantine. Hooray! Mm-hmm. But um yeah, I got COVID. Yay! Yay! I, I had a similar experience in that when I did take a test because when I when I actually did have COVID in about in January, like I took that test and within like 15 minutes it was like brightly positive. I'm like ooh. Oh mine was, I was mine was like 20 seconds and it was like the it was like you have COVID and like oh good. Yeah. <laughs> Yay! Yeah, I got it. We got it through our daughter who got it from our daycare awesome um not because the daycare because the daycare's dereliction of duty was because other 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 families actually had covid and don't send your kids to school sick which it's like if you don't know you have it and you send your kids and the kids are already infected and they affect everyone else it's like that's one thing you know benefit of the doubt you didn't know but it's like the one of the parents literally was like telling my wife like that they got COVID like a, the week prior from a holiday party. And it's like, okay, all right. Like you, it's too soon within a period of time where you'd be like, well, we're quarantined. It's like, that's too soon. 
like from when you said you, you tested positive to when you're sending your kids to, back to the daycare. It's like there's not enough quarantine period here. Like so you are the vector. <laughs> you're yeah. the, you're like spreading it to everyone. So as my brother would like to say, and then there's this asshole. Yeah. Well, my so. wife and I developed symptoms within 90 minutes of each other, so Ooh. it had to be dynamite. That's that's a um, that that's a tale as old as time, right there, man. That's what that, that's <laughs> actually a not dissimilar story to a friend of the show, Damian Gonzalez. He and his yeah. wife Ines, like they went, they participated in uh, in Double or Nothing in Vegas with uh, all the Observer guys, and then in once the observer group came back that you know, after the show, they came back to their homes. Uh, and the following days, like literally like at least a handful of them that I know of, half dozen, like tested positive for COVID. Oh. Yeah, so it was clearly like they got it, I guess, at the party or at the, they could have gotten it at the end, but they were in a they were in close proximity to other people and like just spread around. Sure. Yeah. So I don't like the the instructions now are quarantine for five days and then you can go around with a mask on for five days i'm really like i really don't like that because i don't really want to trust a mask to keep me from spreading it around to other people the guidance is and that's partly why like i know we got to be careful i don't know if we they, i don't know if they're still canceling people because of their covid opinions but the guidance is all over the place and that's kind of why a big reason why people have just lost trust in like the at this point, the medical community, it's not because a politician is raising questions. It's really it's because like people open their eyes and ears and would they tell you guidance? And then it's like a week later, they're like they throw they throw all that guidance out the window and give you new guidance. And then a week later, that guidance gets thrown out. It's like once they start doing that and then they're never like, oh, yeah, well, we were wrong before. Like we have new data. So we've changed everything. It's like, no, they just like this is new guidance. Follow it. It's like. If it contradicts it's too much, like people aren't going to listen to you anymore. And the problem is that, like, I don't like some of the new guidance where it's like if you get COVID, the guidance we had back in January was like if you get COVID and you like you like full on testing, it's like quarantine for like five days. Mm -hmm. uh, if you didn't have symptoms, okay, so you theoretically might have COVID. You, no test like necessarily has been taken. You just suspect. Like, but you don't really have symptoms. You're asymptomatic. They're like, That's okay, harsher quarantine. than having it. Could they say quarantine for 10 days? It's like, what? What the hell is this guidance? If yeah. I'm showing no symptoms, like I'm not showing any indication I actually have it. I just have like a concern that I was exposed. I had a contact. You're telling me to quarantine for, for 10 days. If I actually have the damn virus, you're telling me like five days. It's like that. This doesn't make sense. Yeah, and like works like, well, after five days you can come back with a mask. And it's like, but masks don't really work that well. Like, I don't want to give it to people. Right. Like, it's like, I'm actually trying to be more responsible than the guidelines. And it's like, no, no, it's cool. Like, no, I don't, I don't think it is. <laughs> don't worry about it. It's cool. Yeah, it's work. cool. Like, look, look. I'm really not comfortable. I said it's cool. Come back to work. It's like, yeah, it's cool. You can put a mask on. It's like, yeah. Do you want to sit in a? Do you want to sit like two cubicles away from me for eight hours and see how you feel about it? Because I wouldn't be cool with that. Like, are you? It's just. So, it's mind-boggling. The, uh, 
the Four Corners COVID hour uh, with all of us. I just don't want to give it to anyone. Like, sure. Just um, like at least tell me I have to test negative before I can go like back out. It's it's such a weird pathogen because so much of the the viral spread. And I don't know, maybe there's been new information come out since I, I heard this, but so much of the virus spread happened before symptoms set in. But how am I supposed to know, right? Like, Yeah, because you're most contagious before you develop symptoms. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I'm not a whateverologist, so I'm not going to even pretend to play one on TV. Here's no, let's it's, go it's ahead. It's weird. Do a show. It's not like anything I've ever had before. I don't know what Matt's experience was like, but like the coming and going, like where you feel fine for a couple hours, then you just like feel like you splatted into a brick wall is like really weird. My wife uh, had long term more symptoms than I did. Uh, but I, it's basically it's for me, it started off roughly on like a Sunday and it felt like a cold. And that for Monday, it was pretty much just like a cold. Tuesday, it developed more into actually like just like being like the flu. Um, and then I got better that Wednesday. And I was like, oh, that's not so bad. Thursday, I I progressively started feeling worse to the point where I felt like just like someone hit me with a truck Thursday afternoon, Thursday evening. And then I slept for literally like 12, 13 hours that night. And by Friday, like after sleeping like 12, 13 hours, I felt like 75% better. So, and it was just mild, very mild. And then I, I did develop the loss of taste and smell. But once I – that was like that following weekend. But once I had that, I was pretty much like physically fine. They told me this strain most people get over in one to three days, and that's been true for me. Like the first day I slept probably like 18 hours. Um, and it sucked and I had a fever and then I've progressively gotten better. And today would be like the first day I felt normal. Mm -hmm. Well, good. I'm glad you're at least feeling normal, Brad. Yeah. Um, all right. So we're going to forge on ahead with our topic for the evening. And first, our shout outs. We're going to start with, uh, collar and elbow, the wrestling brand collar and elbow, brand.com use the promo code four corners podcast that's the number four capital c and corners capital p and podcast save 10 percent off your order um the other shout out i'm going to take my prerogative to do this again is for um flood relief in southeast kentucky um i am going to recommend you look up uh Apple Shop, A-P-P-A-L-S-H-O-P. If you want to look them up on social media, do it that way. If you want to look them up on uh, – their website is uh, .org, I believe. Um, and I'm going to tell you, if if you are wanting to help out these people, and it is uh, – it's it's rough. It really is. It's, it's a bad way to go. Um, they are going to be a good – resource for you to start looking for places where you can help so our other shout out goes over to uh, uh matt that would be to orlando cologne um i'm trying to get orlando cologne to form a tag team with mm -hmm. hangman page i think they could be the uh, los caballeros los caballeros yeah okay i'd like to see uh i'd like to see orlando and uh 
in AEW. I don't know. I think he could do Ring of Honor. That'd be a pretty sweet. That'd be a pretty good crossover. Mm-hmm. However, that is not a segue. It kind of was a segue because it fits thematically with the theme of what we're doing. Fair enough. In a way. Uh, before we get into that, can I just say I I have noticed that Collar and Elbow, because remember I think that they like sold their brand. Yeah. Or they have new uh, new management or something. Yeah. But I, I do feel like, Chad, they have been slowly integrating some of the old designs and a, a, like maybe a couple new designs into their products. So yes. I've, I've been noticing lately that they are incorporating more and more new stuff. Yes. It's maybe it's, I want to say it's almost like a, a shirt, either an old design they're bringing back or a new shirt, like maybe at a rate of like once one per week. Yeah. It, one it's, for every two it's, weeks. Uh, it's yeah. pretty, it's pretty good. It's a, it's a, it's a slow trickle. Um, the biggest difference that I have noticed is that they've added the logo onto the sleeve uh, for the mm. new stuff. I kind of like that. Yeah, I do too. I do too. So, um, yeah, check them out. Uh, so far as I know, they're still kind of super comfy shirts. Um, and I wear the, the, wear the ones I've got. I wear them all the time. So, uh, this week is honestly, um, <laughs> this one's my fault. Uh, I was the one that really pushed for us to do this event. This is the uh, this is our review of Spring Stampede 1999, and this is a very this this event um, sticks out in my head because uh, for one reason or another, it's one I've always kind of gone back to, but it was also a potential bellwether for WCW. Um, and then after this, uh, I think it's safe to say that after this, the the drop-off happened. But Spring Stampede 99. I would say uh, this, any, watching this, this felt like the last um, classic era WCW pay-per-view. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, it, this is an interesting show. I... I'm almost positive I'd seen this before, mm-hmm. uh, but I don't. It's been years and years and years since I did, so I don't. I didn't really remember it that well. Uh, so it's kind of like a little bit of a revelation watching it years later here. And I did think it was a fascinating show. Like not every match that I like, mm-hmm. but it it there was there was some stuff in here that even if it like it wasn't my particularly favorite match. There is something about some of the stuff in here that I'm like, you know what, like, they still could have, like, pulled it together. Because in 2000 is when things, like, really, really went off a cliff. Yeah. And by the, in 2001, of which there was, they only survived, like, another, like, three, like, basically three months, like, three Mm pay-per-views. And then they got sold to the WWE and Vince McMahon, and we all know how everything went from that but right. I, I do think like in 2001 they were they were really really pulling it together and they were clicking on things and those three 2001 wcw pay-per-views are actually pretty good yeah so i they could they were i i thought that they had managed to not be sold and still had tv i think they could have like right the ship and maybe they, they would yeah, never they have been have, number one again but i think they could have no yeah and then it may be a situation where it's like how history could have changed. Like they could have still 
been around years and years, even maybe today, who knows? But I do think that they could have like weathered it. Yeah. Uh, but they, they didn't. And this is like one of the last gas they had where it's like they could still put on a good product like when they were focused. Yeah. I think there were some avenues they needed to take out of this and they went the wrong way with all of them because what I found interesting was I was kind of ahead of Matt on this and in our group chat I kind of fantasy booked out what I would have done after this pay-per-view and Matt really didn't comment and then he kind of caught up to where I was. He's like, you know, like I totally see why you you went the ways you went with where you would go. Mm-hmm. Because the crowd is into certain things on this show. Oh, yeah. And it, um, the, this is a good crowd for this show. Mm-hmm. It looks like uh, it's... I looked online. I think they drew 20,000 for this. I did not look online for, for their attendance numbers. But, I like, there's, there's some things they're really into... Um, they really had some good outs for things like the NWO, I felt. Mm-hmm. And, um, they really had some guys, like, what I'll just say it now, like, I think you could have turned Raven and Saturn into main event players and the Horsemen into main event players after the show and been fine. It, yeah, we should probably, when we get into it, like, that, that, that particular match, like, we should talk about that because that match over anything here... I felt was was just clicking on something that they could have like run with it, and they mm-hmm. did. Even like the build up yeah. package, like the stuff they were doing was super over with other crowds. Yeah. Mm. Oh yeah, you uh, one okay. So I know Matt and I watched this through <clears throat> Peacock. I did um, too. Which let, let's go ahead and say this up front: the sound for the Peacock version of the show is. The mixing is all over the place. There are cases where, because the music's loud I, and the music's quiet. Yeah, I have somewhere a VHS copy of this, and for a while it was one of the few wrestling VHSs I actually had on hand. So I would uh, cycle through it pretty regularly, and I could remember it's like that. That's not what the old version was like there's something happened here um but <clears throat> and um, and i checked and they only really replaced two or three um entrance songs uh i know well i know two off the top of my head they replaced ravens they did which was really weird because in a flashback they played it yeah and then um ddps and i suspect they changed hogan's with the wolf pack they did okay they absolutely did and um, i, I because... thought blitzkrieg's was but it was fine i don't have a strong enough memory of blitzkrieg's i, to, I youtubed it okay and well, i think conan's and ray's were fine yeah, um, and I know Kidman's was fine, and and Hoovy and Disco's were fine. Um, the Horseman was fine. Yeah, so let's just go ahead and start at the top of the card. This card starts with a, a good hot opener. Um, this is a number one contenders match for the cruiserweight title. It features Hoovintude Guerrera versus Blitzkrieg. 
So this is interesting to watch with a more refined eye. Because Blitzkrieg's very memorable to me because he was very um he's very flashy. And flashy in a way that wasn't like normal yet. Mm-hmm. So watching the more refined eye, like he's very rough around the edges and obviously very green, but he covers it up with a lot of athleticism. And Hoovy helped a lot because there's some mistakes he made that Hoovy actually like really saved his his butt on. Like he yeah. almost overshot Hoovy on a, a Sai Moon saw, and Hoovy like really like made he stepped sure. into it. Yeah, because yeah. like. That's kind of how they missed Orange Cassidy earlier this year, and Hoovy like saw it coming. But there's a spot early that I'm surprised Blitzkrieg didn't get knocked out because Hoovy dives through the ropes and like pretty much his head hits Blitzkrieg right in the chin. Was that the through the ropes or was that the uh, tope just over the top? No, I think that was through the ropes. Was it? Okay. Yeah, because there's one where he made like really awkward contact with his face. Okay. It, it might have been that they were just kind of able to roll with that one enough that it wasn't a, it wasn't a brain rattler. But, um, yeah, who knows, right? It's it, they they seem to come out of it okay. Yeah. Um, Blitzkrieg. They even talk. By the way, the booth for this one is Shivani, Heenan, and Tanay. I have to say. And, Heenan and Tony were annoying me through this show because um, they were kind of burying Thunder the whole show, which I thought was really fucking dumb. I did, my take on it, it seemed to be more that they were just kind of having a little bit of a good time with Tanae, but uh, I, I may be going off of old memory where it was they kind of had this good-natured ribbing back and forth where Tanae was on Thunder and they weren't, so they would act like they forgot it was there. Um, Is that what the joke was? Yeah, that that Thunder was going on. They're like, oh, yeah, there was Thunder, wasn't it? I wasn't paying attention. And and Tanae's like, yeah, I was there. I'm like, oh, well, yeah, we weren't, Mike. I'm glad you were there to cover for it. That's good stuff. You know, I, I thought it I took it as kind of a good natured ribbing thing, but maybe yeah. I but just if you're to... if you're watching that, though, they're telling you Thunder skippable, though. That's what my problem with it was. That's that's fair. Because um, you, yeah, you should never, you should never, you should never joke around about like forgetting your programming's on. Is all I'm saying. Like that's really a bad you, look. Yeah, you should not be burying your own product. No. Yeah. But, uh, I, for me, the commentary here, I, I liked it because it, it seemed like the guys. We're having fun with each other. They seem to bounce off of each other well. Heenan seems so, sober. Yeah, Heenan was Heenan was having a good time, but Heenan was also taking the piss here and there. Um, so I I liked I liked watching this crew together. And I like that Heenan. If Heenan managed a guy, he'll talk about that guy like he knows him. Yes, yes. Which that was also a nice touch. Because uh, he's um, talking about Arn and Tully. That's when I, I was like, what What was that? Was like, oh, yeah, he was talking about Arn and Tully during the tag. Yeah. Um, back on this first match, the uh, Blitzkrieg does a really good job. And he's got – he had – which in hindsight this seems weird to say. But Blitzkrieg 
among the luchadors had a look that stood out. Um, you know, you think of the, the luchadors of that era, and they had the, you know, you had all kinds of bright, colorful gimmicks going and different looks and that sort of stuff. But Blitzkrieg had one that that stood out. I mean, it was very 90s. Black, red, and silver is a very 90s kind of thing, but it, it worked. And um, he could have used the. I think he could have used the. He did not look low rent, but I think his his outfit could have used like some tweaking and a slight upgrade. But um, there's a far worse offender on this show that I'm going to trash later. So yes, uh, it it could have used some tweaking, but it wasn't that bad. No, it looked like um, he looked like a guy that had his like first or second outfit and needed like a couple paychecks, and he was gonna get like a two thousand dollar suit that looked good yeah and look i i know that they did not have the benefit of working for companies that actually had money most of the time they probably made like little money but some of those shows we've reviewed like shikara shows and stuff like that it's like during like the aughts there there's a tire from different like indie workers some of them have gone on to do big things like one of them being like eddie kingston and it's like the attires are just bad. And I don't mean like visually they're not that good. A lot of them a lot of times they're not that good. But they just look low rent. It's like cheap spandex and everything like that. And I, I will say like Brits Blitzkrieg's attire did not look cheap. Like it no. may have been it may have been like relatively inexpensive. Uh but it didn't seem cheap. He actually, it was actually pretty good. He needed he all he needed is like a TV person to like or like an artist to kind of like tweak it a bit, streamline some mm-hmm. lines and like simplify it a bit. And I mean, but that's like that's like he needed a revision. That's more what I think. He also but, like was bigger than I remembered him being. I yeah, mean, he was. Who is not a particularly large man, but he Blitzkrieg actually looked like he had a little bit of size to him. Like, put him up against some, like, Scott Steiner, and no, he's probably not going to be very big, but he looks like he'd have some size to him. He's not low-key, either. Yeah. He was taller than who he was. Yeah. Um, A little, that's one thing his suit did well for him, is I got the impression that he was probably kind of a lanky dude, and having the suit that he had fleshed his look out a little bit. He felt Mike Quackenbush size, actually, or maybe, like, reckless use size back in the day. Hmm. Uh, nice, kind of a kind of a whipcord look, but the suit that he had, it, you know, it was it, it was kind of it had um, tights up top, and the pants were a little more billowy. But that that the way I look at it is, if if you're going with the name Blitzkrieg, you're trying to evoke kind of lightning thunderstorm mo- motif, and so you had kind of a, a clash going where those things would crash together, and I was fine with it. Um, but we have, you know, all this, we have all of this and we aren't even really into the match that much yet. Cause this is a good match. Um, this is fun to watch. He's better you know, than Dominic guys. Mysterio with fewer matches. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Keep your ear to the ground on that one later. Yeah. Um, they said in commentary that he had less than a hundred matches at this point and he did a good job. Um, he I, did. I w- Go ahead, Matt. I, I wasn't sure if that number was like legit or kayfabe, but if if it's legit, like he did, he did a fantastic job. Mm-hmm. No, if you look at that? his cage match thing, his career is like only two or three years. 
Oh, the sad thing is that based upon like the timeline of this uh, show, like he was in the business literally like another three months, and then he was out, gone. Yep. And never, never came back. No, he came back to give his stuff to Jack Evans at some point, I think. Yeah, I don't, I don't mean I don't consider that like coming back, like coming no. back to like I'm gonna officially retire uh by having like a little small ceremony in the ring like that that's not to me like coming back but i mean he just he retired like his career was so little and i think that if he had if he had stuck around like he would have been really really good no because i think um he was a computer programmer was making more money doing that yeah that's that's the the rumor that i heard at the time was that you know he, he just decided to go back to being a programmer um over the course of this match, there are two things that, well, there are three things that really, I guess, uh, jumped out at me. Uh, the first is there are a couple of spots that seem almost effortless on their part. Um, Hubie does a topic on Hilo uh, about midway through the match, which uh, that's that's doing a dive where you clear the ropes without touching anything. And... He he flips that and and lands on Blitzkrieg and it looks great and it doesn't look like it took him any effort at all. And then there's the part where uh, Blitzkrieg goes for his finish that Sky Twister press and he just hops on the rope and just does it like there's nothing to it at all, which just really impressed me. You you watch a lot of guys who go and do because the Sky Twister is basically a Phoenix uh, Phoenix Flash, isn't it? Uh, it's a little more sideways. A little more twisty. Yeah, but I also like, though, he had the faith to just go for it and go for the move, whereas nowadays if guys are going to miss a move, they're like, I'm climbing the ropes really slow, and and I'm going to make sure that like I have to line it up just right so that they can move. Like I like that he had the faith that Hoobie knew to get out of the way. Yeah, he just went for it, and the effortlessness of that... Um, there's a spot later on in the match that it, it looks like it's supposed to be Hoovy going for a back suplex from the top and Blitzkrieg kind of supposed to roll through it. And somebody slips. Someone got uh, a little slippery, I think, because they slipped the second yeah. time, like right after that. And so when they come the way down, they're still able to cover for it. And it doesn't look perfect, but you know what? I don't. Honestly, if everything in the ring looks too perfect, then I, I kind of start looking at it a little sideways, and I'm like, ah, this looks, this looks too good. Whereas with them doing this, it's yeah, okay, there's kind of that, and they cover for it real well, and so that makes sense to me. Um, there's a worse and, botch later in the show that overshadows this a lot. Yeah, uh, and then. When they go into the finish, that that finish is that is not only a beast of a finish, but you know, uh, Hoovy does a great job protecting Blitzkrieg taking it, and it still looks, you know, fantastic. You know, it it looks rough, but he did a really good job protecting Blitzkrieg through it. I wonder if they got yelled at for that because that was a big move. I don't know. I mean, that, they're the opener of the show. They that need could to get have gone really out. wrong, though, is what I'm saying. I, to, to me, like, the bots looked bad and scary. Uh, okay. The fact that they were, the fact that they looked, they recovered, like, that's, that's 
good, but mm-hmm. it was still uh, concerning. But they did like salvage it basically. Yeah. Oh, since I didn't say the finish is actually a it's a super hoovy driver. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that's not the botch spot either. Um, but it it looks good from the angle that it initially showed at it. Looked like what's Craig got his head driven through the mat. But Hoobie took good care of it. Yeah, so this was this is a really great opener. Um, I usually only snowflake things for like high end stuff. I'd probably three and three fourths this one. Yeah, I'd I'd be I'd be comfortable with that. Surprisingly for me, this is probably the third best match on this show. Uh, I'd have to count on. It's not the best match. It's either the second or the third best match to me. Uh, I would agree. Like that's third that's... or fourth. Well, um, I the main event is on par with it, and the tag is better in my opinion. Well, the the thing that I was looking at is actually the cruiserweight title match and this. I look at them and I'm like, ah, those are close. Yeah, the the cruiserweight title match felt a little off to me. It was good, but um. They had some struggles because of something that happened early in that yeah. match. We'll get... and beyond that, like the crowd wasn't into it. No, we can, get to that. we can get to that when we talk about the match. But I, I would rank like the, the tag is better. Um, oh yeah, the, the, this probably is like on par with the main. Uh, it's a good match though. It's very good. Yeah. Okay. It's fun. It's funny because I was talking to you guys uh, offline about this. It's like the. I remember being like so fascinated by Blitzkrieg, even like mm-hmm. the limited time he was in WCW. Uh, and I thought he was good and he was good, but we're all kind of like spoiled nowadays. Cause it's like someone like Dante Martin can go out there and do everything that Blitzkrieg would do in like a regular match. And it's like, he's good, but it's like, you just kind of don't blink an eye nowadays when he does stuff like that. You're impressed by it. But back then, it's like no one was doing this type of stuff. Like very few were doing yeah. the, the, this type of move. So when, it's like Muda in '89, where it's just like it's just like he was doing stuff you'd never seen. Yeah. Which I, funny, I watched '89 TV, and they were really dumb to push him as a heel because he was getting pops like week two. Because yeah. you know you put a guy doing crazy shit in front of a work work rate fans and yeah shocker he's gonna get over (laughs) so this you're right dante martin would be doing a lot of the stuff that you see in this match without blinking an eye but i think that that's just more of a progression of cruiserweight style over time yeah as opposed to any any Nothing against Hoovy or Blitzkrieg in this. Like, this is how a lot of cruiserweight matches at the time uh, worked. And that's fine. It's it's still fun to watch. It's still good. Um, but we, you know, wrestling progresses onward. You know, even from Harley Race and, and Flair in the cage to just a few years later, you had a big progression through there. And... You know, this was in 1999, and we're talking in 2022. So, you, 21, 22 years later, because uh, I don't think we've crossed back over to make it 23 yet, but all of that, um, 
all this time later, it's like, well, yeah, cruiserweight stuff has changed, and and now things are a little bit different, and that's okay. Um, this is still a good match. It's still fun, and I, uh, Blitzkrieg goes on on my one of my major um, what if lists. So, all right, are we going to the next one? Want to take yeah. that is? Yes. Um, yes. The next one, this was part of WCW rating ECW for people. This was Bam Bam Bigelow versus Hardcore Hack, a.k.a. The Sandman. Yeah, so um, I don't get why Chastity was there, because she really added it's, nothing. Because Raven added. liked her. And this is, this is such a waste of Bam Bam Bigelow, honestly. Chastity was around in this angle because Raven liked her, and he wanted to have her around. Wasn't, um, wasn't she supposed to be, like, his sister or something like that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So but you're right. She had nothing, like nothing. The the buildup, she had a lot of getting involved kind of stuff, and then it didn't. There was one spot where she tried to in this one and didn't. And, you know, that's that's fine, but... You would think for as much as she was getting involved, you'd see a little bit more, but we didn't. So, um, I had a lot of fun with this for like five minutes, and then it kept going. And then I, I really got bored with it by the end. Go ahead, Matt. I, this one was a, I was conflicted about this match because I did think it started off like fairly well. And then it did go on too long. And, and there was I just... a lot of too elaborate setting up spots, like the guardrail where like Sandman crashed into it, like took forever. Yeah, it. There was a lot of like, there was plunder. There was just like chaos with this, and a lot of it like didn't really make sense. And I I would agree it's kind of like a a misuse of Bam Bam. But at the same time, like after I watched it, I was like, I didn't hate that. Like it was, it's weird because it's like just like a car. Excuse me, it's like a car crash. Mm -hmm. But I didn't like hate it. Uh, and I felt like it wasn't as bad as you think it would be. It was just kind of like a mess. Yeah. And I have questions, serious questions about whether like Sandman, aka Hack, like he with the whole gimmick, everything like works in WCW. Like, I don't think it really did, but no, uh, it, I did think it was, it was an interesting enough match that I'm like, I didn't hate that, but I will say it's like, it's pretty much just forgettable. It's, they were trying both WCW and WWE tried to do like hardcore stuff with varying degrees of success. Um, yeah. And I don't think that it was really done well outside of ECW. I thought but, yeah, I thought the best either one did was Norman Smiley is the hardcore <laughs> champion. Oh yeah, Norman Smiley. Now I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna stand up for someone here real quick. I'm gonna say Steve Blackman is the hardcore champion. Not only made a lot of sense, but let him showcase some some crazy stuff. Um, you know, really really kind of stand out on his own. But this match, uh, to me anyway, is that the thing about this match is it's it's kind of indicative 
like you said, of how WCW and WWE were trying to do hardcore stuff at the time, and it was, I'm going to hit you with some stuff. Now you hit me with some stuff. Now I'm going to hit you with some stuff. Now you hit me with some stuff. So a lot of hardcore matches, a lot of people who whose Ballywick was not hardcore matches ended up in hardcore matches. And so they had this formula just hitting each other with stuff. And yeah, Sandman and Bigelow were, you know, knew how to do it, but I figure they're like, well, we're second match on the show. What the hell? Let's just do some stuff and it'll be fine. So yeah, I, I didn't hate this. It was, it, it's a fun indicator on how a lot of, um, the big two hardcore matches went at the time. Uh, which is very different from from the plunder matches we see now. Uh, so if you ever want a nice comparison, I would say this is this would be a good one to go with. Yeah, it, it, to me it's it's not as ridiculous as hardcore stuff that would happen on the indie scene mm-hmm. uh, in, in later years, and especially even like today. Like there's some stupid stuff that that still happens on the indie scene. Um, it, but this was like it was indefensive. It just was kind of forgettable. Uh, <laughs> since he was brought up, like, have y'all heard like the the whole like JBL Steve Blackman story? Oh yes, I love that story. That's uh, I guess from Hardcore Holly's book, which I've not yeah. read. But for those who uh, <laughs> who don't know the story, it's like they were uh, they were all like uh, Hardcore Holly and several other people. JBL were at the airport uh, years ago, obviously. Yeah. And JBL was like drunk, and he starts like messing with Steve Blackman. He's like starts patting him on his ass. And Steve Blackman's like, stop doing that. If you don't stop doing that, I'm going to kick your ass. And like mm-hmm. JBL being like a dick, like he usually was, like kept doing it. So Steve Blackman just starts beating the shit out of him. And when JBL tries to like defend himself, like get engaged and like fight with him, like he trips. He trips on like luggage. And they eventually like patch it up like like hours later. Because Steve Blackman is like, I'm gonna like I'm gonna mess him up. Like I'm going to like mess him up in front of everyone. <laughs> oh, you're missing some pieces, man. Well, I try to like just do oh, okay, you're trying to the story, right. but like he he's eventually like JBL is just like I in front of everyone is like I apologize, like shakes shakes his hand and Steve like I basically told Hardcore Holly he's like, you know he's lucky he tripped over that luggage because if he didn't I would have put him in intensive care. Yeah. And it's Steve Blackman, like, believe me, he probably would have done it. Yeah. Yeah. That if you if if you've ever wanted to if you've ever thought about what being a fan of Steve Blackman is like, go look up the full story and you'll have a good time with it. Actually just yeah. read about his life because in the late eighties he had his career derailed because he was essentially bedridden for like two and a half years with malaria. Yeah. Hmm. Yep. And before that happened, he was a wrestler. His physique was a lot bigger. He was like a yeah, he and, was like a powerlifter guy, but he lost, he had to like rebuild his whole body after that. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. I never knew that mm-hmm. because I would not say that Steve Blackman was like a small man. Like he's oh, not like he's not like Braun Strowman or anything like that. But he he has some size to him. It's like the difference between um, rambling. Uh, Ramblin' Richard Flair and Ric Flair. Yeah. Remember the differences mm. in those pictures? Mm, like, I see. Yeah, it, it's it's a big shift. Because he was like a stampede guy, I think, before. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. he did some show in South Africa, I think, and got malaria, and then it was real bad. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. It was real bad for him. So the next match on the card is a, we're going to give you guys a payday to be on the pay-per-view and to debut a new gimmick match. <laughs> That's all it is. There's nothing particularly whatever about this, I guess. But it is Scotty Riggs, post-flock Scotty Riggs with the new Pretty Boy gimmick versus Mikey Whipwreck. So if I was a TV producer in WCW, I would have tackled Mikey Whipwreck and made him put on better gear before this match because Mikey Whipwreck looked like as low rent as low rent could be. Yes. Yes. He looked he looked very very indie. Cuz the shirt was fine. He could have kept the shirt, but wearing the bandana and like the the um the boots and the the pants and the 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 knee pads like mismatching mm-hmm. was real bad. I get what you're saying, but I mean, that that was always Mikey Whipwreck's thing, so I can't be too mad at him, I guess. But I mean, on one do... hand, yeah, you're at the you're at a big show now, like maybe step it up a little bit. But on the it's probably like this is what you hired. This is what you wanted. So, you know, yeah, but look at I'm Kidman, though. look at Kidman. Kidman had jean shorts and a wife beater on and he did not look low rent. That. Yeah, Kidman's was a progression out of the flock stuff. No, but he had like matching pads on. His pads and stuff it's, looked yeah. looked good. Um, his stuff fit him properly. Like Kidman, like yeah, you can say it's like super simplified, but like it obviously had money and thought and stuff put into it, and he did. He looked like he belonged there, which Whipwreck did not pull off. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. And I like this... Mike Whipwreck. He like was actually decent in this match, and yeah. like when the crowd chanted "boring," he pulled them out of that tailspin. He did. Um, Mikey did a good job. Mikey, it kind of felt like Mikey Whipwreck kind of drugged uh, Scotty Riggs kicking and screaming into something better than than bland <laughs> for the course of this match. Um. He had some big spots and some big bumps that I did not remember him doing, but uh, yeah, it made R- it fun to watch. R- I don't know what Riggs was doing. He just needed to pick up the pace. You know, I've always kind of wondered about Scotty Riggs. Is it, like, I guess he's a solid enough hand, mm-hmm. but it seemed like his look wasn't quite there and his work wasn't quite there so you know very serviceable but not i mean i guess that fills a spot for you and you can tag him with people and such but it's always seemed to me to be just just not not quite there considering the company he was keeping he reminds me of like He's like a less talented Disco Inferno, whereas Disco Inferno is competent at everything and yeah. understands things like timing and how best to execute his offense. And his stuff looks good. Like Riggs just lacks comp- competence in like certain areas that make it all fall apart. Like his offense I'm... looks decent, but he doesn't have those like killer moves to put it all together. <laughs> Right. doesn't understand like timing he doesn't understand like 
hey, I'm kind of losing the crowd here. Why don't we do something? Because the crowd starts chanting boring. And I think Riggs was calling it. And then you can kind of just tell Mikey's like, no, no, we're doing this. And Mikey, like, picked up the pace and went into, like, an end run that got the crowd back into it. But, like, Mikey had to do that to save it. Mm -hmm. I I don't even know that I would say Riggs doesn't have it. I would say he's, like, 80% there on that stuff. Yeah. So he's, he's... Almost, but not quite. And in doing so, you know, there there's some people who are able to get away with that, but you've got to really stand out he, in some other areas. He has a couple of holes in his game, but they're devastating holes to not like have in your arsenal. If 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 you're all around just barely not there, then you're still not there. Yeah. So, um. Riggs I, picks up the win with this with his forearm. Go ahead, Matt. I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I was like, I, no, like cutting you off, but I thought this was fine. Mm-hmm. Um, it just seemed like a very TV match to me. Like this could have been on Nitro. Yeah. I, I think Brad is right. It's like just all right. Let's get these guys, get these guys like a payday. Yeah. Like a a pay per view payday. Yeah. yeah. It's it's seven minutes, and it's not a long seven minutes, really. It's. A TV match, yeah, I'd, I'd say you call it a TV match. That's that's a good way of putting it. But yeah, you know, get, get these guys a little bit of money. Yeah, it's not like a pay per view, in my opinion, like a pay per view quality match or what you would anticipate it to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, I did, I did appreciate. I think this match I thought was fine, mm-hmm. and the reason it was fine is because uh, Mikey Whitberg went out there, and I don't know if he's like trying to to prove everyone that he deserved that, uh, that paycheck. But I thought he was like busting his ass out there. He was like, he was yeah. trying a lot. He was trying to do a lot. And big I sells, thought big bumps. Yeah. I did appreciate that. I, I did think that that actually, you know, made the match better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate it. I, 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 I was, I've never really been like that into, to rigs. No. No. I did think that he was fine with like the American males uh, <laughs> tag team. Hey, he was I, fun. I he, he was. I thought he was fine when he did that. He was okay in ECW when his gimmick was having a venereal disease. Oh. <laughs> oh God! What was that gimmick again? The clap. He was Scotty oh, Anton, right. and like his thing was the clap. Okay. That's right. I think his, his finisher was like a one-legged Boston crab that was the clapper or something. Okay. Um. So this match, which was fine, led into one that was, to be honest, like way better than you would think it would be going in. And this match actually had a lot of build going into it. This is actually one of the better Conan matches I think I've ever seen. This was Conan versus Disco Inferno, and the feud came out of Conan had just put out a music video for a new song, and Disco had been deriding him for doing this and his music not being good, and then Conan releases his video, and it was the Nitro or the Thunder before. Disco's like, yeah, I got a video too, and it's just Conan's video, but with Disco green screen in front of it and like riffing on it the whole time, so... You know, Conan's doing his, um, you know, all LA stuff and stuff like that. And Disco's going, oil of ole, bow, wow, wow, yippee, yeah. You know, just like bad lip syncing the wrong words and goofing on it. And the announced team's trying not to crack up watching it. So, you know, they're going to have this match. And something I 
ever put together before, but they come out there to do this match and Conan's doing his street gimmick and he's wearing desert camo BDUs. Disco comes out and he has blue urban camo tights as kind of like a mirror to Conan. No, but they're, they're, is... they're still bell bottom tights though. You miss that yes, part of it. Yes. No, no, you're right. They're still bell bottom, but they're like blue urban camo bell bottom. Which is fun because at the end of the match, they start doing each other's moves. It's mirroring each other through the whole match. Uh, which it's like, that's a level of psychology that I never even realized until I watched it again this time. I said to you guys, I think I think Disco Inferno is my new baseline of like what perfectly average competence in pro wrestling is. And I don't mean that as an insult. I mean that as a high compliment to him. That's that is you would if you had a roster full of people like him, you could put on a perfectly good show that way because his offense is he has good offense. It all looks good. It all is easy to execute. It's all easy to foil. You can mix and match it. Um, He sells well. He understands working (laughs) the crowd. He knows like when to time things like he's really good at his job. Yes. Disco has all of his pieces together. Uh, it's just a, you know, and and he had a, he had a good handle on his gimmick. He was kind of a goof, but you know, a goof that could go a little bit. So it, it all worked. He um he tried real hard in this match. Uh, the problem is that he was facing Conan. <laughs> who I again reiterate, in my opinion, has never been good. No, he was even blown up after this match. Conan's never been good. No. I'd have I'd have to go back like years before, and at this point like thirty years ago, I'd have to go back and watch that uh, Worlds Collide AAA pay per view and see the match that he did against Perry Aguayo Senior, mm-hmm. just to see because. I don't remember if that was a good match or not. If it was a good match, it's like that's that is maybe the only good match. And that's because Paraguay Senior was a miracle I, worker. If it was, yeah, I would, I would that I would, I would believe like that's why if oh. it is a good match. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I never thought Conan was good ever. Like no. ever. show me like a show me a good Conan match because I have not seen. One. Well, this one was probably one of the better matches of his I've ever seen. Because it was but, fine. But he didn't even do that much in this match, and he was blown the fuck up by the there end. Was, there was way too many rest holes in this. Like, way too many. Like, this should not have been given ten minutes. No. I will say oh, at least his shit looked decent when he did it this time. Yeah. that His, uh, his cradle DDT came off looking really good in this match. Um... You know, there's there's a bunch of stuff that happens here, and it it all works. And uh, you know, it comes off good. You've got a good finish to it. Like it's it's good. You know, it's it, it is the kind of thing you would hope to at least do every time you went out, if that makes sense. Yep. So on to the next match. Uh, next match on the card takes us to, this is the Cruiserweight title match, and this one's interesting because 
both of the people in this match are also their tag champions with each other, Rey Mysterio versus Billy Kidman. And also Rey concusses himself like two minutes into this match. <laughs> this was early, not quite their filthy animals phase, but kind of proto-filthy animal stuff. Um, this is like right after Rey unmasked. Yeah. And Rey uh, has his, Rey's doing the urban camo bit too because they're rolling with Conan. What is and, the 90s? Um, yeah. Because the Filthy Animals kind of it's after the No Limit Soldiers, what's, which happens like about a month oh. and a half after this. Oh, God. That was not a good crossover. Um, But, you know, Mysterio and Kim come out to have this match. And, yeah, could you describe the, the concussions, the potential concussion spot here? So they, they, I don't remember what they did that got the ring steps kind of bent a little bit. But so they do, like, he does a Hurricane Rana off the guardrail on Kidman, and he pretty much just hit, smashes his head right into the side of the ring steps to the point that he kicks them afterwards. But, like, you could tell, like, he was pretty screwed up after that for a while. He was, he was pissed, and he was, he kind of pendulum, pendulumed himself around into it. Yeah. So that leads me to believe, because... Ray won the title from Kidman, I think, the week before. I think that's right. Or they had a return match later. I can't remember which one. That was, to be honest, it was a lot better. I think this. I think this was the return match from Ray winning the title. But in having that happen to Ray, they seemed to kind of get stuck in doing spots as opposed to flowing things together. It was kind like of spot, lay down, spot, lay down. And then I'd say the last couple of minutes, Ray seemed like he was feeling better because it picked up a little bit. Yeah. So <laughs> go ahead. Yeah. I, I don't know if he like actually concussed himself, but that spot where he banged his head on the, on the steel steps, like did look like it hurt like a mother. Like it probably looked like it just was very unpleasant. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this match is fun. They do cool stuff. There is, we have an instance of a tiger faint being used to actually tiger faint, which is cool. Um, we also had, uh, we had a Kidman trope that I really, really grew to dislike in that, um, why in the world? Why, out of everything in the world, would Rey Mysterio ever try to powerbomb Kidman <laughs> so Kidman could do his so Kidman could do the you can't powerbomb Kidman spot? That that always just bugged the living hell out of me. Is is it's like just don't don't powerbomb Kidman. Why does everyone try and powerbomb Kidman? Don't try and powerbomb Kidman, and yet everyone tries to. And as it turns out, you can't powerbomb Kidman. Um. But there's some really cool spots. Ray's got that uh, top rope swing bulldog spot that was really good. Um, we've got the, uh, you know, you've got the, you've got lots of really good spots. You know, lots of good spots off the apron, all kinds of good stuff. Okay. Uh, uh, this, this was a, this was a good match. Uh -huh. Um, I do think it was like hampered by the fact that the crowd just didn't give a damn. 
about this until mm. maybe like the very end. That's true. And that kind of took it took it away from me. Yeah. Like it, I it didn't really work out that well at the end, but because of that. But I did think overall it's, it's a, it was a pretty good match. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, these guys could probably like in their sleep could have had a good match. <laughs> um, so it, it was like really really fascinating. Like Kidman, when I was watching this, I was like, how do you forget? Like, especially back in the day, and then he carried this over into like his his WWE work and you don't even have to talk about Ray because like Ray like you know he's great like there are people who argue that Ray may be like the best luchador of all time and that might be true mm-hmm. um, but Kidman was like just so good and kind of like unappreciated because at that, at that time because he was just a cruiserweight but this is one of the things that I really loved about WCW is that they would have just these like really really good mid card matches yeah. Uh, and it would make even if there was wonkiness in like the main event scene, like it would still make it kind of worthwhile because mm-hmm. everything worthwhile because you you knew like you could have like some really great undercard mid card stuff. Sure. Like, I wouldn't ca- I wouldn't classify Conan versus Disco Inferno as that, but this was pretty good. Yeah. Um, another thing that happens over the course of this. Oh, let me go back, Matt. You're, you're. I think people forget about Kidman because, you know, he comes over in the buyout and then just doesn't do much. They don't have him do much anything, and so you have a whole audience of people that doesn't know who he is or why they should care. Because you had some crossover between the companies, but then you also you had a lot of diehards that would only watch one or the other. Sound familiar? Yeah. Um, so, you know, they didn't they didn't know who it was, and so a bunch of people that talk about him now don't appreciate how good Kidman was. And by the time during, he was in WWE too, he was he was really trying to spare his knees and stuff too and Yeah. He's probably feeling it pretty bad. Um during this match on the feed there was a commentary cutout which I could not remember being there. But there's also this uh they did a spot that hardly anybody does well, where one guy's crawling through the ropes and the other guy does a flying leg drop across, you know, your your neck and shoulders from the top as you're coming in. They did better with that than just about anybody I've seen do. Uh, Jerry and Lynn then, did a did that a lot, and I liked when he did it. Okay, and then the other fun thing is, um, you had this section where Bobby Heenan just started screwing with Shivani and Tanay. <laughs> he quit. They say something, and so Heenan's like, "Okay, then I won't talk." And so they start trying to prod stuff out of him. He's just giving one-word answers, and I'm cracking up because he's very clearly goofing with them. Mm-hmm. But it was still fun to watch. And then uh, Heenan starts talking about heel things you could do, like the the pants that Ray wore. Is put a brick in the in the the cargo <laughs> pants of them and stuff. And he got the other guys on board. They're like, yeah, you really could mess somebody up with that. You don't put it in the back pocket, though. He's like, no, you land on that. You put it in the side pocket. I'm like, sure, like that spin wheel kick he just did. That messed somebody up. Yeah, I, he had another good one. I can't remember if it's this one or a different match. But I think it might have been this one. Uh, or even that of the tag. And then he knew was like, well, you know what I would do? I just like slide that. A guy had a, like a guy in like a the chin lock or something. It's He's like, this one. 
Oh, I would just like slide my like wrist, my other wrist down. It's like just lights out. <laughs> it's like, I'd like slide my oh. hand up under that elbow, and then I'd pinch his windpipe there with my. Yeah, it's just like yeah, thumb and just, forefinger. Basically, like in a roundabout way, he's like, yeah, I just like choke him out <laughs> illegally. It's like that was Bobby. He like casually threw out this like underhanded stuff that he would do. That's completely yeah. illegal. And he says that he said you reach around there with the the thumb and forefinger and pinch his windpipe, and then Shivani goes, "Well, why don't you use the whole hand?" And then Bobby goes, "You're right, you get a better grip." <laughs> I always <laughs> like having so much fun. I always liked when Goldberg was doing the streak, and he would be like, "Oh yeah, like I had that many, except there was a zero in front of it." <laughs> <laughs> Heenan was a lot of fun tonight. So he was motivated tonight. Yeah, they were having fun. That instant. was yeah. That was something I think that's going to be sorely lacking real quick. Yeah. Uh, just to, as an aside, I I, I will again uh, talk about my one of my favorite uh, Heenan moments. Not even he has many great commentary moments. It was one that was actually from like the old like primetime show. Yeah. With with uh with Gorilla, and you know they'd have those like skits or something like that in between the matches, and they were talking about like hotel accommodations or something like that. I don't know why, but Bob was like being his usual like braggadocious self. He's like, nothing's too good for me. Like I'll, I'll stay at the finest hotels. And it's and <laughs> Gorilla Monsoon actually cracked him up. Like he goes, yeah, I've seen the type of places you stay at. They have hot and cold running rats. <laughs> it's like <laughs> like Bobby was just like broke character and started laughing. And then he like composed himself. It's like you know what. It's a really great clip. It just took him completely off guard. Yeah. My favorite, my favorite like announcer thing is, have you seen the one of like, it's like a commercial break during like a UWF TV tape and it's Jim Ross and like, um, Michael Hayes. And they're just like, I've heard it, but I can't remember it. And they're just like, Like they're just, they're just like dropping F bombs. Like, Oh, he's not fucking moving. (laughs) And, um, and Michael Hayes is like, he's like, he's like, we better fucking stop saying fuck and Jim Ross like, fuck yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because we're supposed to be on commercial. Yeah. And it's just, it's, it's just hilarious to see them like, cause I love, I think Michael Hayes and Jim Ross together are always a lot of fun. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So this leads into what I believe we've kind of collectively said is the match of the night. Um, This is not for the tag titles because Mysterio and Kidman hold the tag titles as a result of this feud. Yeah, and I Uh, think in the the highlight video, um, Saturn went to splash, I think, Benoit Malenko through a table and the table did not break and they looked like it hurt very badly. Yes, it did. So this was uh, the – this was post-flock. And it was Raven and Saturn, and Saturn was kind of doing his Marilyn Manson skirt. No, remember he lost he lost a feud to Jericho and had to wear a dress, and then he kind of turned it around and liked it. So he was doing like the when I think his music was. Oh God, was his music still a Judas Priest like ripoff? I'm not sure. But well, I like I like the thing that they did with him though in the build up to this because like he's like now nah, I was never part of the flock I was just his friend yeah 
That was actually part of the breakup line because Saturn said, no, I was not part of the flock. I was not one of your followers. I was your friend, and you, you tried to treat me like I was a member. Um, Jericho had it in his book that they were going to have – he was kind of finishing up, and they were having him do the loser leaves a dress, wears a dress gimmick with Saturn. He's like, well, this is how they're going to bury me on the way out. And it's like, no, they were doing that with Saturn because Saturn wanted to do a Marilyn Manson-inspired gimmick. And we got – here um but it was raven and saturn versus the horseman um malenko and voldemort and uh, matt how did you describe this match? you had a description for this match that was just spot on it this was probably the most like old school southern style tag i have i, I think i've ever seen raven and or saturn individually or as a tag team like mm -hmm. do like it was south, old school southern style i mean it's yeah. like i know that wcw had originations as basically like southern territory uh i get that but it's like it wasn't really at this point and, and neither saturn or raven were like that type of guy like they came from like the northeast like they they were they were that style kind of but they were totally working like an old school southern. There's like, there's some of like the classic, um, like tag team tropes that you get, mm -hmm. uh, where you know like the face comes in and like the, just as the face guy is gonna tag tag his partner, like the other, like the heel comes in and distracts the ref and like they the ref misses the tag stuff like that, like like tropes like that, double team maneuvers by the heels, uh, and really it's like Raven and Saturn in many contexts should be like heels they're yeah. actually kind of um well raven's playing a face in peril which is really weird but they're actually almost like a blowjob tag team and how they're behaving yeah <laughs> they're like the faces in this and they're like yeah. they they it massively works. over it, yeah. it massive the crowd for is probably might be the hottest for this of any match because because right. i was talking because i was talking about what i would have done after this show and i'm um, sorry i got a cough all right and and i think matt was kind of like why would you have raven and saturn at like the top in your main event and then he watched this match like oh i totally see why yeah they were in your like top baby face side yeah like it's so over they they are massively over. This match has so much heat. Um, and the vignettes I, they had massive heat in all of like the the clips they showed. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think Matt, with your description of this being very much a a Southern style tag match, it also had a lot of kind of chaotic violence into it that that had some ECW flavor on it. So. Yeah, you had a you had very strong Southern tag stuff in it, but then you had some chaotic back and forth. I kind I okay, so I would kind of agree mm -hmm. when you say like oh they had like some ECW style like violence to it. It's like kind of yes, given who was in it, i.e. Raven and Saturn. Yeah, but I also disagree because like it's not it's not what I would consider like ECW style violence it's like it's just like old school like memphis just it's like violent the, brawls it's like that clash midnight's versus fantastics match we watched 
Yeah, it's it's like old school Southern style like brawls, mm-hmm. and they it was eye opening because it's like these guys arguably like you shouldn't be surprised because they were good workers, but it's like I had I had not seen them work basically like a Southern style before, and so see them do it and do it like this well, it was just eye opening. Yeah, this match was is so good. Like, you could stack this up in the modern day. You could stack this up with, like, any of the modern, like, maybe not the matches they had with, like, the Briscoes, but you could otherwise stack this up with, like, an FTR match. It's it, like, it just, is, like, it an is inc- really incredible good, tag yeah. match. It is, it is really good. You're, you're right. It, it holds up over time. There's I, I, one thing in it that yeah. I, in hindsight, wish wasn't in it because it really makes me cringe to look at but can i take a guess right i i think i know what you're gonna say is it the flying headbutt into the chair yeah that'd be it yeah yeah uh voldemort um benoit like (laughs) at one point like it leads into the finish like he does a headbutt uh onto the a chair uh to crush like saturn actually was was this was it Raven? I forget who. Raven. It was Raven because Saturn okay. had gone through the table outside. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Saturn totally um, ate shit on a table spot. So. I thought that that was actually smart booking because that was also like classic old school style, which is like okay, get the one, get one of the faces, like do a big move to them outside so that they're like incapacitated, and even if they can like come back in theory to break up a pinfall attempt inside the ring, they're outside the ring, so that extra few seconds could cost the the base team the victory which it did right. uh but yeah that that spot was that spot was not in, in hindsight that was like cringing and because that's... it's like you're seeing benoit do a diving headbutt off the top rope onto a chair and it's like well you wonder why this guy had uh, horrible cte that led to like inc- unbelievable tragedy also I, I wanted to say um I know why they pre-cut the tables now, but there is such a more satisfying snap on these, like, not-cut tables. Yeah. It's almost a crunch to it, you Yeah. Know? Very satisfying crunch when you hit it and just... And the way they kind of explode, too, instead of that, like, perfect break in the yeah. middle. Yeah. So, this... I mean, this match is, is great because... You know, you have a lot of your your standard tag tropes, and then the further along you get, the more they quit doing that, and things get a little more unhinged and a little more unhinged. And like you said, the crowd is just nuclear for this. They're, I mean, they are on their feet for this match, and it is fun to watch. It's so. uh, It's frustrating because... I was talking to you guys about this, but it's like they they didn't they didn't pull the trigger on this. But it's like you you could have had something here. Yeah. Uh, Brad was kind of like, uh, in a way, fantasy booking. Like, what could have been like you could have actually like kept this feud ongoing mm-hmm. for a little bit longer, like a few months longer, maybe. You could have war games this with DDP, yes. Raven, and Saturn, and like Canyon versus the Horsemen. Yeah, wow. you could have, you could have done that. You could have had Raven and Saturn, and then you could have brought in like DDP and Canyon, and you could have, you could have totally done war games 
with the horsemen like and that would have been an absolute like blowout feud like that match that feud could it could have been like a big thing you could have like again like weathered the storm a little bit before 2000 when things like really really don't i mean they may have gone off the cliff like by the end of 1999 but you could have like sustained things for a while longer you should, you had something you almost had like lightning in a bottle because both guys were so over and you could have elevated those two guys raven and saturn you could have elevated them to like the next level you mm-hmm. could have and you didn't you could have you could have slowed the erosion i think because the thing was yeah. Um, it all made sense too because Raven and DDP had all this history they set up. Um, Raven probably would have stayed if you did that. And um, you know you had kind of Flair and DDP as a as a as a feud that could have come out of this. Like there is a lot of ways to go with it. Yep. And um, they just mm-hmm. did not take that because because there's something I because even like even in the main event. You could have you could have ended the NWO there. You could have, and this would have pro- probably been a pretty good time to end the NWO because, man, it didn't really do much after this. We can talk about shortly. We can talk about the main. Yeah. Uh, but I but basically like Hogan's like a kind of like a face in it, and. Or at least like edging that way. And yeah, he'd been going. Did, they did a double turn at the last pay per view. So this is the thing about 1999. Everyone points to the finger poke as like this moment where it all falls apart. But Super Brawl that year, which is like two months after the finger poke, did like I think like the fifth best buy rate in company history. Mm-hmm. And where they really yeah. screwed up that year is they turned Flair heel. Which is yeah. what fans did not want. That was the mistake they made that year. Yeah, that's the people wanted to cheer Flair, and yet, you know, they're like, "Oh, we're gonna turn you heel," and it's like, um, not really what people are wanting to see here, guys. Yeah, but anyway, so the the pay per view, I think it was still uncensored in March. They did a f- double turn with Flair and Hogan in the cage. And there is a match on Nitro leading into this with like the Horseman versus Hogan and I don't know who else where Hogan starts hulking up and it's obvious that he's like reverting to Hulk Hogan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could have just ended the NWO and it, it I mean it was long past its like due date. This is 1999. Okay, the the NWO formed in 1996. It's like if it was if it had just stayed like a core group. Like you maybe could have like sustained that for a while, mm-hmm. but once you started adding like half the roster at the NWO, it's like no, you gotta you gotta shut this down. Well, I think yeah. they were, weren't they like are weren't they doing like the B team like feud with like Stevie Ray and yeah Virgil that or something kind by of, this point? They had I thought that had kind of ended because the Wolfpack and the Black and White had remerged, but maybe well, no, that's, that's where the B team emerged that. out of. Okay. Because Hogan's wearing Hogan was wearing a, a shirt that's uh, black and white and red or something like that, and um, Luger had one and Nash had one and so on. But yeah, we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. We're gonna roll into the next match. This was the match, the the final tournament match to 
uh, find a new U.S. champion after Scott Hall was um, straight up just gone. And uh, so it came down to uh, Scott Steiner versus the television champion Booker T. And Steiner Steiner let some chick just molest the shit out of him before this match. (laughs) (laughs) And he's taunting her boyfriend like the whole time. It's it's truly incredible. I I thought that was hilarious. And uh, I didn't I didn't hear what he said. Uh, He's like, she's touching me, man. (laughs) Yeah. You know, he's like jaw jacking with the guy. Yeah. Oh, he spent so much time jaw jacking at the start of this match. Mm -hmm. Uh, He delayed the state. It it was almost Lawler-esque in how much time he spent jaw jacking early. Um, This match was fine. It had the misfortune of following up that super hot tag match. It's like, well... That's you're you're going to be in a bad place trying to follow that up. The crowd stayed up for it pretty decent, though. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And I have to give this match credit. We saw a weapon use spot in this match that you don't see. Hardly ever. Mm. Um, Booker takes. uh, Booker takes. Booker takes. Steiner up for a vertical suplex. He's got him up in the air, and Steiner's got something in his hand and brings his arm around and pops Booker in the face. Which, you know, they go down, and Steiner slaps the Steiner recliner on. Um, You know, you don't see people for an object that way. Hardly ever. So, you know, I had to to give him some appreciation for that. That was good stuff. And this is, Booker's on the rise here. Mm. Um, uh, if, if you were to, I'm I'm of two minds on this match with the finish. Uh, I could have gone either way because Booker's star is still on the rise. He still has the TV title. What are you going to do with the TV title if Booker wins? Are you going to have another tournament right away? No, but uh, I mean it's it's two secondary belts. You, he can have both. How long do you do that? You know, how do you take the one off of them, that sort of stuff? So, you do and like, like I said, I could go either way with it. You do like a four-way with two falls. First fall gets the TV belt. Second fall gets the U.S. belt. There's yeah. ways out of that pretty easy. But uh, they have, um, you know, they have a pretty good match. And this is also part of uh, Scott Steiner's rise to the top, too. So, you know, was a... Uh, you know, it's a good match. Just just the crowd wasn't quite so hot for it. It this was a fine match. Um I did think that some of like the Steiner stalling was like it, it, to me it got a little too much at times. Mm-hmm. Um but the I do stuff think, was a bit much too. Yeah. Um but I did think it was fine. Mm-hmm. Uh it it was kind of like a prelude because they it would have been like another year, a little over a year before they really pulled the trigger on the Steiner, like mega push and Booker mm-hmm. and Booker too. Yeah. But I did think that it was like, you had to like, so you had to remember like people who, who years later, maybe watching this. Cause this show is like, it's stunning. It's like, this show is like 23 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, but at, watching it back at the time when we were younger, it's like that everything seemed like really, 
fascinating and kind of like you could you could feel the momentum building. So people were were getting into like them pulling the trigger on both Booker T as a as a main face and uh, Steiner. So yeah. that it, things like this was the, the best match, but like you kind of like were happy to see it because you knew it was going to lead to somewhere, and it did down the road. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so it was, you know it was good. It, <clears throat> and then this fed into the rubber match from Starcade the December before. <sighs> this was Kevin Nash versus Goldberg in revenge for Scott Hall hitting Goldberg with a taser, so Kevin Nash could book himself to be the world champion. Yeah, um, I will say they booked the right ending to this. Yeah. There's some spots in this that are pretty impressive. Um, there's a spot where Kevin Nash actually leapfrogs a spear, but Goldberg has to go so low for it that when he hits the ref, he spears that poor ref right in the chest. Oh, Mickey J? <laughs> yeah. Oh, he just, Mickey J eats shit on His that His balls spear. died for this match. He did. <laughs> they really did. I'm not sure he recovered the entire time. Um, I will say this is not good, but Nash worked fairly hard, I thought, to keep his end of the deal up. Yeah. And I, it, it was odd because it you expect a Goldberg match to be Goldberg comes out strong to start, and Nash just, just whoops the fire out of him for the first half of the match. Nash is just, just wearing him out the whole time. Um, and we have... Uh, we have Luger do a uh, a chair shot spot, which it's like, uh, well, that's not as much a, not what you would typically have expected out of hitting Goldberg with a chair at this point. Typically, you'd hit him and he'd turn and look at you and be like, what the hell are you doing? But Did they ever uh, do Luger versus Goldberg? I'm sure they did. I, I don't know when, but I'm sure they did. Um, but you know, we get a nice, we get the, we get the satisfying ending with, with Goldberg getting his win back over Kevin Nash. Um, quick tangent, I'm of the opinion that the person who should have broken the streak, it should have been in Halloween Havoc the year before because God, that match is good, but that could just be the mark in me talking. No, they should have done, they should have had, they should have done a rematch with DDP and had him beat him later down the road. Okay. Well, I have a sour taste in my mouth for Nash uh, ending the streak because Wrath was part of it is Wrath was also on kind of a mini streak there and so Nash killed him just to set up for this. Yeah. And Nash also being in the Booker's chair for this um, takes away from it a lot for me because it's like Mm -hmm. I, I I understand there could be plenty of good reasons for doing it, but Kevin Nash is someone who I enjoy listening talk about wrestling when he's talking about somebody else. When he starts talking about himself, I'm immediately being skeptical. Because it's like, come on, man. Really? Yeah. This is probably the worst match on the show, I'd say. Um, would you say this, this is, or the, the hardcore match? Yeah, 
it's close. The hardcore match had a couple of good minutes in it, though. Like, I liked when they were fucking around with, like, the stagecoach, and they just happened to have a, a table <laughs> hidden a table in the table under it. Yeah. That's right. I, um, this is probably my least favorite match. Yeah. I'm like, I didn't like it. Um, but even so, like, watching it, again, you kind of have to, if you were watching at the time which i know like 23 years later it's like there's probably like people out there who it's like i wasn't watching this like i was barely alive or i wasn't alive (laughs) and that that may be fair but watching this like as i did and probably you guys did at the time um it did take me back a little bit it's like you if you've only seen goldberg as like a guy that occasionally pops up in the WWE to beat some hot act and like hold the title for a couple minutes. Yeah. Like if, if that is all your experience with Goldberg, like you wouldn't get it, but it's like, there was a period of time and this was kind of during it. It's like, even like a, a not very good match like this with against Nash, like you kind of, I kind of appreciate it because you can, Really, like, you, you you have to know, like, you can sense, like, the aura of Goldberg. Like, he was a big deal. Yeah. So that alone kind of, like, drags this. And I did think, like, by the end, like, the sh- the whole, like, the spear and the schmas and everything like that, while it was, like, a little bit excessive, like, they, over- they got into overbooking a little bit, uh, it did kind of, like, I did feel like it was, like, uh, kind of fascinating. Yeah. It, it It's indicative of the times i think mm-hmm. but uh anyway so then this takes us into the main event which uh this sounds like it should be an overbooked mess but it's not uh the main event is the world champion rick flair versus hollywood hulk hogan versus sting versus diamond dallas page with the returning macho man randy savage as a special referee this this match looks like it ought to be just a complete and utter like bonkers mess, but we have we have five guys in the ring who are professionals and handle it very well. I mean Hogan comes to play in this and like Flair is bumping like a maniac at start to start. But you can tell Hogan's knee is really screwed up because he's he's basically limping around on one leg. He, I was noticing like he was moving like pretty pretty slow. I don't know like the back. I didn't know the backstory. I don't remember like the backstory at the, the time. The 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 spot on the ring post was to write him out to have like knee surgery. Ah, I get it. Okay. Yeah, that's what that that was his exit for an injury angle. So, um, you know, it was a good uh, that 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 served Hogan pretty well. I don't know if it was just me, but in the intros, the crowd seemed really muted in the one I was watching. Um, yeah, because DDP's was, yeah. thing was a different tune. Okay. I don't know if they fucked Again. with players and put the... the they w- put the woo at the beginning. Yeah, and um, Hogan, I think, had probably had Voodoo Child, and they changed it to the Wolf Pack. Yeah. The only one that seemed on point was Sting's, and even that seemed a little bit loud for the way everything else was mixed. I actually didn't pay attention to Sting's. It, it was his Starcade 97 music with, you know, the violins and such. Oh, I don't think that was his theme anymore, because I think he might have been doing, like, the Metallica. Th- 
thing by the... Oh, I, I didn't think he'd hit, he'd hit the search and destroy point on that one. Could be wrong. Um, so, and, and this was Savage's big return coming back after his knee got all messed up and he comes back with a new valet and, and all that kind of stuff. And I think there was kind of an undercurrent somewhere in the build that Flair, Flair was acting as president of WCW in the time because of an angle that happened. And so I think Savage being the referee was supposed to be, um, him doing, a favor for flair or something to that effect. Yeah. But, uh, as the match goes, that's not what happens. No, he does a good job in this actually of staying out of the way. Yeah, that's true. It, there's a lot of special referees that just get in the middle of everything. <laughs> but like, so there's a point where flair gets the, um, the figure four on sting and Savage goes up top, drops the elbow on him. Um, which I actually really like that he cosplayed the title when you take into account like their feuds in like 95 and 96. It's a nice mm-hmm. like end cap on that. But what I also like that Savage does is um is when when the the end of the match happens, he just hands the belt to DDP and gets the fuck out of the ring. Yeah. See, I think Randy Savage had a lot of respect for Paige because they'd had that big feud. And he was trying to help make Paige something. So here Paige gets his big moment. And he's like, here's the belt. I'm out. Because he doesn't want to take away from his spotlight. That's my theory anyway. Well, DDP talks about that match where he beat him, like, in 97. And he's like, well, they asked him what he wanted to do. And he's like, well, I think I'm taking the diamond cutter. Yeah. And they were like, what? And he's like, yeah. Yeah. he, He knew it had to be a good feud. Yeah, I mean, the the DDP, the Savage feud, like, Savage was actually kind of, like, relatively selfless in that feud. Like, he, he basically made DDP. Like, DDP had, was getting, like, he was getting big, he was getting popular, he was getting, like, a lot of, like, heat. Uh, and then him going over Savage, I think is what cemented him. And then he was able to move into the main event mm-hmm. spot. Uh, I actually really like this match. Yeah. Like it took me, it took me back. It took me back to like like late '90s WCW, like before it went bad. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought this match was like had a a decent level of like chaos with the four way, and you're right, like Flair was just like Flair had his boots on, like he was just like bumping his ass off. Sting was doing great too, because Sting was at times presented as just like a monster. Like he was mm. at one point, remember like Flair is chopping him and DDP is punching him. And there comes a point where Sting just starts no selling it. And it's like, Oh damn. Like he's, he's doing his own, like hulking up. And yeah. it's like, it, it just came off like very well. Like the whole thing is just like a it, pretty good match. It was like yeah. he channeled old Sting for a minute there. And it wasn't like yeah. some of the issues you had with the Crow era. And what I yeah. like too, is they got Hogan out of there pretty quick, but they also avoided some of the, the tropes of like a triple threat match that I liked. Like they didn't have the guy laying on the outside all the time. There was a lot of like double teaming and stuff Yeah. because I also like that, too, because they're kind of beaten up on Sting, and they send him into the ropes, and he comes off and does, like, the flying clothesline on both of them. Yep. And there's there's even a spot where Flair and Sting are doing stuff, and Paige is just in the corner watching him. 
and they're going to do something. And he just moves to another corner because here comes the whip and the stinger splash. And it's not a, uh, you know, it's not the trope. It's like, oh, I'm going to be down in cell until it's time for me to do my stuff. It's, it makes Paige look very calculated in doing that in picking his spots. And, and there's stuff I love that Sting does, though. And there's things, like, there's these details that, like, in a lot of wrestling matches don't get anywhere. Like, Flair does his little flip in the corner, you know, because what Flair used to do is he'd flip and he'd try and go up in the other corner and it'd blow up in his face. And Sting's like, oh, fuck that, dude. And he just runs him over the second he comes over the, oh, the yeah. turnbuckle. Yeah. Gives him, like, <laughs> yeah. a sweet clothesline. Yeah. And it's just like, I love that little detail of, of course, Sting that does that. He's seen him do that 5,000 times. He's just like, oh, come on, dude. Yeah. It's even like the look he kind of has is like just kind of like this unamused, like really like you still think I'm falling for this shit. Yeah. Uh, I liked the double sleeper spot, too. That was fun. I couldn't remember seeing anybody else do that before. It's probably been done, but I I still liked seeing that. Um, And then, you know, we get we get one of my all time favorites win his first world title, which was very gratifying for me. Paige was in kind of this pseudo heel run at the time, I think. Um, and I think this was kind of a, a pat on the back uh, title run where it's like you've been working a long time. Yeah, he we was should've... he was kind of tweening into heel healed him, I think. Mm-hmm. He only held the title for a month here uh, before Nash took it off. No, the next no. Paper. He um there was that nitro where Sting beat him ah. for it and he beat Sting back for it at the end of the show so he didn't even get that out of it. Yeah, well, he got two he got two reigns out of it and yeah. the Sting matches were really good. But, but that, that's also dumb though. Why did Nash get to challenge for the title? He lost at this pay per view. That's yeah. Cause see what I think I would have done, what I think I would have done if I was fantasy booking this, um. I think I would have had Savage come out and like shake his hand stuff and be like, "Hey man, you you owe me one. Like, give me a title shot." And I, I would see that. Yeah, I would have done Savage and DDP there, and then I would have had DDP win and like have Savage like turn heel off of that. Savage kind of, if I remember right, was kind of in a tweener space too, wasn't he? No, he was straight up heel. Was he? Okay. So I think then, like, because he beats Nash for it, and I think Sid's kind of with him, because Sid shows up in about a month, I think. Oh, and this was around the time where the White Hummer showed up, wasn't it? No, the White Hummer's... Ooh, when is the White Hummer? The White Hummer oh. is in this era, yes. Yeah, uh, I, I think it was around in there, but... Yeah, um, having Nash win it here was just, or win it next month was just, it, it, it didn't make sense. It, it didn't fit. I didn't care for it at the time. It wasn't necessary. Nash had already, you know, taken the title off Goldberg and all that sort of stuff. So I'm telling you. Uh, and I think even like rematching like DDP and Flair would have made sense. Like saving yeah. Sting for pay-per-view. Like I said, having Savage challenge him. Even going back to Steiner because they did that on Nitro where he got to avenge his loss to Steiner. Like you could have, you could have done that. Like there was some avenues here that they just went straight to Nash, which was dumb. So with all of this. Um, and, and staring down the, you know, looking down the barrel, 
there were a lot of things that they could have done, but unfortunately, how long was it before the Russo era started? Uh, that was After like in this... September or October. Uh, October, this... because they turned Sting heel at like Fall Brawl, I think. Uh, which didn't work. No. But, okay, so guys, how would you rate this show? Well, how would you describe it? How would you uh, you rate it for somebody out there? Uh, I would thumbs up this, and as far as in the pantheon of pay-per-views we've watched in this show, this would probably be, like, top 15-ish for me of what we've watched. Maybe creep in top 10, because, like, from top to bottom, there's really nothing that sucked. There's stuff that's less good than other things, yeah. obviously. But like, yes. Like, for, for something that I enjoyed immensely that we just watched, this is better than Royal Rumble 91. Um, yeah, I agree with that. And I really liked Royal Rumble '91. There was some, there was some real dead weight in Royal Rumble '91. <laughs> in the Rumble, like the the matches were fine, but yeah. What about you, Matt? I would give this a thumbs up. Um, I don't know if I'd rate it in the top fifteen percent. I had to really think about all the shows we've reviewed, but it was a good show. Um, it is worth your time to watch it. It's, it's historically like kind of like significant for that era, and it does have some good matches on it. Some of it's like really good, mm-hmm. like the Blitzkrieg match I thought was really good. The tag match obviously is very very good, um, and I like the the main the four way of the main. I thought that was pretty good. Everything else is varying degrees of like okay to fine mm-hmm. or even decent, um, but. There isn't really anything bad. It's like you said, Chad. There are some matches that are less good than others, but that's not. It's not like a, a outright bad. Yeah. Like it's definitely watchable. Yeah, that's my takeaway with this is that there's not anything on on this show that is bad. There's some stuff that's all right. Uh, there's some stuff that's you know it's okay. It's it, you know it's no big deal, but. Um, you know, there's there's nothing offensive. There's nothing bad to it. And see, I, I can't be fair in in rating it with our stuff because it, it's got the nostalgia for me. It's the first time one of my favorites, you know, won the big one. But, um, you know, top to bottom, I I think it's a show worth watching. And you've got you've got maybe a couple of spots where you might say, OK, this is this is a time where hitting the bathroom you're not going to miss a whole lot but um you know you don't want to take too long because then you will miss out i think if we looked at all the wcw and wwf pay-per-views for 1999 this is probably the best pay-per-view of 1999 oh i hadn't looked at the at what happened in 99 but you might be right oh 99 is wretched You might be right. I, I'd have to actually have to look. Because people, yeah. people forget, like, 1999 WWF does not age well. The Attitude Era is not as good as a lot of people remember it being. No. So, all right. Well, that was Spring Stampede 99. Positive responses all around. Um, are there any parting thoughts we want to get before we sign off for this one? Uh... We're going to start our project here, which is Dangerous Alliance WCW. I don't know when we're going to start that. Um, we got to figure some things out, but that'll probably be like the next shows we do. 
then once we get the logistics on some of that stuff. Yeah, we yeah. just got to figure out what shows we're doing. We're not doing TV. Um, we're we're just doing like clashes and pay per views. Mm-hmm. And I think it's gonna be twelve to fifteen shows we're doing. So I'm guessing that's gonna take us six to eight months. Yeah, because um, we'd probably break it up a little bit as we go too. Yeah, because we just can't. Because I mean, we just can't with all of our lives. We can't watch shows every week. It's just <laughs> it's a sad reality. Um, we'd love to, we'd love to do more, but it's just, it's something we don't have the time for. So, um, we, we try and get as much as we can. I think we, I think we do a pretty good job of, of doing thoughtful, um, content as far as like what we watch. Yeah. Um, so that, that's our next goal. Like it's going to just be in context. Uh, there will be a rerun in there because we've already done Super Brawl 2, which will fall mm-hmm. in there. So um, we'll just replay that when it's time. Uh, yeah. Was there anything else we were going to do? I think that that's the, our next big one. We might have a, a dumb, silly episode coming up that, that would be fun, but we've got to hash the details on that one out. Uh, we got we to gotta, we gotta get off our butts and finish Shining Force so we can review that for an episode, too. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think I stopped playing it like a month ago. I'm like, I have like, <laughs> and I wasn't that sh- far into it. I'm like in the last like fourth of it. I just gotta finish it. Yeah. It's been all a hard right. summer for all of us. Yeah. Yeah, it sure has. So everybody out there, thank you for joining us for this episode. We would love to hear from you. We're always, we always got our ears open for uh, special requests. So send them our way. And with all of that, this is Shad with Matt and Brad. We've been in three corners. You're in the fourth, and we will catch you next time.